You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. Um, If you're wondering, I just spilled some coffee all over myself. Um, Tried to wash it off with water and then uh, said, well, this is going to go great here. Um, So I'm kind of half wet, (laughs) um, but it's okay because that was the Lord's means of humbling me before we look at this word together. If you have your Bible, would you open it, please, to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, um, uh, make sure you bring yours with you uh, every week because what we are to do here is come to a knowledge of and be equipped by God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you're going to need it. And uh, If you don't have one, you can find one under the row in front of you, okay? There's some Bibles under there, under a basket, in a basket, not under the basket. Um, And uh, and I encourage you to use that Bible today, okay? If you don't have a Bible of your own, really would love for you to even just take that home with you and uh, bring it home with you, make it your own, and read it, okay? And then bring it to church with you as you come every week, right? So it's my privilege here um, to shepherd you into and by the Word of God. We're shepherding, shepherding you into the Word and by the Word. Um, what's great about what we're doing here is that I don't decide what we talk about for this next hour, okay? I don't decide that, nor do you want me to. That's what's great about walking through books of the Bible is it's just going to be decided for us. And so what we have here today is not because I chose to teach this to you. To be honest with you, if I had to choose what to teach you each time, come up with these creative things, uh, these creative series to try to teach you, um, you would wonder my motives, first of all. And second of all, I would never tell you a lot of the things that I don't know. So we have to just repeat God's word after him, and it tells us things that we don't know, right? So we're just finding our place in the next passage of Scripture I didn't come up with this, and uh, God did, and we're going to look at it in just a minute. Um, and, uh, and so w- once we see this, I, I think um, God's going to really teach us with it. But before we get into this, before we move into the exposition of our text that the Lord has given us today, meaning before we read it, explain it, and apply it, right, uh, the, 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 what the Lord has given us today in this verse, or in these verses, as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke, before we understand it, we seek to, to have knowledge um, through it and be equipped by it. Um, this doctrine, this teaching of the Bible, this biblical doctrine, which just means teaching that's going to come up out of this text before we look at it. We're going to recite just for our last time our corporate monthly memory verse. Um, and I pray that you've been memorizing this, that you've been meditating on it, reading it each week. Uh, we're reciting this just briefly. Sometimes I'll explain it. But we as a church are memorizing verses together monthly um, so that the Lord's just working the same truths in our mind and in our hearts uh, throughout the month. And so if you say, well, uh, I have not done this well, that's okay. You can begin again. Um, It's the end of the month. So you get to start over, what is it, tomorrow? Um, And we'll have a new verse uh, that um, is introduced to you next week. But it's just good for, for you to hear new things from the Word each week, read new things from the Word each week as you're spending time with God, but also then to recite and repeat and read the same things repeatedly so that you see things that you didn't see before. Okay, so we need to memorize Scripture. So let's just recite this. Um, I'm going to read it, and you just listen, but read along um, in your mind and your heart with me. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he, God himself, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You say, that's not one verse, that's a lot of verses. It's true. You can memorize four verses. This is, this is the vision that the Lord gave to John about the consummation of all things. And if you know Christ, this is where you're heading. You can't stop that train. You're on it. And if you know Christ, you're, you're heading here. And if you don't know Christ, you need to know Christ so you can head here. And I pray that without mentioning much more about it, that you would read, repeat, and reflect on even this verse for just the last day or so of this month. Because although, um, although this verse, these verses you may have vaguely referenced before, meditating on this divine picture, I think, will put within you a satisfying and a joyful and a peaceful longing to be with him fully one day. And if when you read this, you say, I don't want that yet. I want earth. Then you have to beg God to change your heart. Because you're not seeing reality. You're not living in reality. You have, you, you have grown a love for the world. If your heart doesn't leap with this, and you don't long for this. Biblically, something is off. Okay? So, and even then, in light of this coming reality, you know what this should do practically now, as Psalm 90 states, it should teach you to number your days so that you gain a heart of wisdom with how you live. There's a lot of benefit to meditating upon heaven. So, with that being said, let's now read the passage that the Lord has given us today as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke. Chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. We, we looked at, we explained verses 22 through 24 Last week, we're reading it all together, both times, last week, this week. Today, we will talk through 25 through 30 after reviewing a little bit, <clears throat> but let's read all of it now. Verse 22, and he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, 
Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. There's two things I'm happy about. Number one, as I mentioned, that I don't have to pick passages or series or anything else. We're going to start a book. Let's just read it and explain it till we get to the end. Because you would wonder my tone if it's dictating what we say in here or what we do in here. Or you'd wonder about my selection of passages. And we don't have to worry about that. The second thing I'm the second reason why I'm glad is because you begin to understand the seriousness of the nature of everything that we're talking about because there has been zero levity in this book. Like, it has been, if you've been here, which I hope that you have, all you've seen is weighty passage after weighty passage after weighty passage after weighty passage. And you know what you should say to yourself is, that seems to be the tone of the Bible. Because we're not getting away from it. <laughs> There's a weightiness here. Because we're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with the glory of God. We're dealing with salvation. We're dealing with obedience to the God of the universe. We're not dealing with trivialities. And so this is, I'm glad that, I hope you see, there is no choice on my part. And then thirdly, I'd say I'm also glad that we just explain and repeat what God said. I'm just going to re repeat it after him. I'm literally just going to explain what's here and repeat what he already said. I'm going to resolve to be unoriginal. You know why I'm glad about that? Because when you hear a message that, um, makes us feel uncomfortable, but you look at the text and you say, that's just what it says, then um, you have to deal with God and the Word. And you can't, you can't blame it on anybody or anything else. And I say that in love because God is calling us all to repentance and faith through God's Christ in a life that is according to his word. And, and I just, I want these verses to beckon you into that. And I want you to not be able to avoid that. Um, so, even though this text is not mainly about us, which we're going to see here, we, we're going to learn a lot. So, let me kind of start this. This is part two, Okay. And what we're seeing here in this passage is Jesus training his disciples to understand the fact that his kingdom will be rejected. That's what is happening here. Jesus is making clear that his kingdom will be rejected. Okay? His kingdom will be rejected. That's what's being made clear here. That's the main point of this passage. That's what's being described here. That's the particular doctrine being made known here, the teaching 
being made known here the principle of Scripture that this passage is teaching us. Jesus is making clear to his disciples that his kingdom will be rejected. He's giving them that proper expectation, and then he's giving them that right explanation of why that is happening. And he's particularly dealing with Israel. All of this is in light of Israel's rejection, this whole context. Okay? So, and you'd say, well, is, how, how, do, how can we apply this? Don't ask that question too quickly. Let's just, we're not the center of the story, right? God is. And his, well, let's just take his story for what it is and just understand what's here rather than trying to figure out how it applies to us. But along the way, he will apply it to us. So let's understand this. This is about his kingdom being rejected. It will not only be rejected, but what's being made clear here is that it's going to be widely rejected. That's how you should understand the kingdom of God. There's no other way around this. This is part two. I've entitled these messages, The Rejected Kingdom. That's what's being made clear here. The Rejected Kingdom. This is his kingdom. The essence, the nature of his kingdom is that it's rejected. Okay? So, stay with me. If you remember from last week what I said about this passage, and I pray that you've been here every week and that you continue to be because it's hard when you don't know where we were last week to pick up and know where we are this week, okay? So that's one of the reasons why you got to be consistent is because we're, we're not going to rehash everything, although I will help in the beginning. Jesus has given his disciples the right expectation of the nature of the kingdom. Listen. He's given us the right expectation of the nature of his kingdom, okay? Jesus is giving also the necessary explanation about the nature of his kingdom, meaning expectation. His disciples are understanding the depravity of man, the rejection of his kingdom, the holiness of God, the Christ, who is the only way to salvation, how this rejection of Israel will lead to the crucifixion of Christ who will then lead to the salvation of the world. Um, Israel's rejection and how that opens the door for the grafting in of the Gentiles. You got to understand all of this is like in play here. There's so much to be said about this text. We, we could take, honestly, we could take six months just in this text, right? There's, there's so many aspects to this. Have you ever thought about the, the you probably haven't, um, the, the providence of God in the way that he functions. We're understanding some things here that are hard to understand. Listen, God chooses a people, Israel, not because they're great, they're actually incredibly disobedient, but by his sovereign choice, his providence, his sovereignty, he chooses this people. And by this people, he shames the nations. And yet, and yet, through these people will come this Messiah, but it will come through their rejection. And by that rejection and by this Messiah, he will then save the world, the Gentiles. And then through these saving of the Gentiles, he will shame Israel, which then will lead to Israel's repentance and salvation. And I mean, you wouldn't choose this plan Right? You, that doesn't make any sense. And all of that is to show his ways are much higher than our ways, his thoughts much higher than our thoughts. And you say, why does all that matter? Well, all of that is the central theme of the entire Bible. And God, through all of that, is revealing his sovereign grace and salvation, his character, the depravity of man, the grace of God to, to bring the gospel to all nations. All of this is in play in this one particular text, and yet also his disciples learning to continue sharing, proclaiming this gospel to the ends of the earth for the glory of God and for the good of all people. All of this is included here. So he's given them the right expectation. What do, you, what do I mean by expectation? I mean this, that his kingdom will be rejected. If you go back to the parable of the barren fig tree, right? That's where kind of this started. His people will fail to produce the fruit of repentance and faith. That's what that means. His people, his fig tree. Instead of rejoicing over the reality of the Messiah, 
there will be indignation. You remember how right after that passage, there's just like this example of the truth of Israel's rejection, meaning this synagogue ruler rejects, is indignant about the Christ in light of him healing in the synagogue. Just proof. It doesn't matter what Jesus does, they're rejecting him. So therefore, Jesus responds to that situation because it's in prime opportunity to teach his disciples. They must be noticing now that his kingdom is being rejected. And he says to them, in essence, my kingdom will be rejected by many, accepted by few. It's going to be like this mustard seed that starts small. You got the 12, you got Jesus, you got the 12, you got the 70 or 72. And it continues through Jerusalem, Judea, I mean, uh, 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 Samaria, and then to where? The ends of the earth. It's going to start small, but it's going to expand, right? And he's talking about this leaven. It's going to be hidden. His kingdom is going to be like this hidden, uh, it's going to have this hidden nature where it looks like it's not growing. So he takes this opportunity to talk about how his kingdom is going to be rejected by many, accepted by few. It's going to grow slowly. And it's first going to be manifested, this rejection, in Israel. And then, listen, stay with me. They're seeing evidences of this being true as they go out and proclaim the kingdom. In the beginning of this passage that we're in, they're going out teaching in the towns and the villages. And what's happening? They're teaching about the kingdom and it's being rejected. Okay? And so they ask the question, are we understanding this right? This kingdom, the Messiah, even though the people of God have been waiting for a long time, and yet there are few who are going to be saved? And he says, yes, that is the nature of my kingdom. He gives them this proper expectation. And this is for a lot of reasons, but let me tell you, okay? Listen, this is a training time on the way to Jerusalem. This is a time of training. They, he will, he's months away from the cross. He's going to ascend. And he's going to leave them. And they are his ambassadors for his kingdom. They're his ambassadors. And they're going to proclaim this gospel. They're going to uh, pray that this gospel would be accepted. They're going to proclaim the, the kingdom of God has come and repentance and faith for the salvation of souls. And what's going to happen is that they're going to be rejected. And they can't lose heart. They can't turn back. They can't doubt. They can't wonder if this gospel is true. You understand? They can't, they, they, he's training them. How, let me t ask you this. How else are they going to know what to expect? How else are they going to remain faithful to the task? How are they going to remain prayerful for the salvation of souls? How are they going to understand rightly the holiness of God, the depravity of man? How are they going to remain joyful and bold and steadfast after being rejected, especially after his ascension? How are they going to not fall prey to discouragement, fatalism, doubt, disillusionment, losing heart, ashamedness, not finishing the course, remaining silent? How are they going to not fall prey to these temptations when the gospel is rejected by many and accepted by few, they're called to be as ambassadors, proclaim the kingdom to the ends of the earth for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. And they can't lose heart. They're understanding now this, this rejection. They're going to be trained to continue because they're going to have the right expectation. I wonder if you ever thought about what if God had not given us this right understanding of the kingdom, this right, this right understanding of the nature of the kingdom. What if he'd never given this to us? What if he never gave us verses like, look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, even when it seems like it is, right? This is what he's doing here. He's, he's, He's doing this type of thing, training them to continue on in this ministry of reconciliation. You understand? 
He's got to give them stuff. What if he never gives them verses like John 15, 21 that says, all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They're going to have the right expectations because he's training them to have the right expectations. Matthew 10, 16 through 17, he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as what? Sheep in the midst of? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say or what you will are to, before what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Look at this. This is the right expectation that they must have, although sad. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be what? By all men for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. They've got to endure. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is training. Right? This is what is going to happen. At the end of this, he says, have no fear of them. It all be revealed. But proclaim this, he says, continue to proclaim this from the housetops. What if he never communicated this? Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of uh, evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what would have happened if he would never told them these things? Stay with me. You know what would have happened? We would never see pictures like this in Acts chapter five. Look at this in Acts five. They strictly charged the disciples not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. This is what's gonna happen when Jesus leaves, right after he leaves. <laughs> and this is in Jerusalem, Israel, people waiting for the Messiah. It says, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must what? Rather than men to do what? Proclaim this kingdom. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree and God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things as so the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And look at this. When they called in the apostles, this is later on in the passage, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then what did the disciples do? I love this. Look. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not what? from teaching and preaching the very particular thing that Jesus said was going to be rejected, that the Christ is who? They've got to be trained. There's no way they do this if Jesus doesn't tell them the nature of the proper expectation of the kingdom. Acts 4, it says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. This was one chapter earlier. There's threat. Do they give up? Do they fall short? Do they retreat? Do they recant? Do they doubt? Are they afraid? Or what do they do? Grant to your servants to what? Continue to speak with all boldness. You got to understand, Christian, this kingdom will be rejected. You will be of the minority. It will be a stumbling block. You will look foolish. You'll be lied about. Right? This is the nature of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is training them rightly. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus is then also explaining to them why this is the case. Okay? So he's now explaining to them. That's what the, where the passage is going next that we're in. This is still a little bit of a review. So as God's ambassadors, you're going to have to understand this, why this is happening and the, the biblical... Um, 
understanding the theology behind why this occurs. And uh, what Jesus is alluding to overall is that this, the world is corrupted in mind, darkened in their understanding, hardened in heart, offended by the truth, self-righteous, loving the praise of man, loving the created things rather than the creator. You say, that's harsh, right? But the, again, I'm glad that I don't have to make up my own stuff because that's just what Ephesians 4 tells us, right? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? Due to what? Their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. And we too were like this. But this is what's happening. This is what you must understand. Don't take this for granted. You don't know this unless the Word tells you this. And, and don't know to expect this. So listen, disciples, you can't lose heart. This is what's going to happen here. The disciples are learning to expect this the first time. They're fully convinced of Christ's Messiahship. And they're, they are absolutely flabbergasted that Israel is consistently rejecting the Christ. Okay, that's what's happening here. Now, I want you to understand also that this, this should be lamented over. Staying engaged, locked in. This should be lamented over. You should lament over this. You say, why? Well, that's the pattern of this passage. It moves from expectation to explanation to lamentation. Expectation, those, you're saying, Jesus, that those who are saved are going to be few? Yes. Explanation, you can tell us why. And then in the very next passage, Jesus laments over Israel's rejection. So that's what's happening here. So they're being trained in this expectation, and now he's giving them this explanation. Okay, so as we start with this explanation, you remember last week, he's saying that those who are saved will be few. Now stay with me. Because they are unwilling to agonize to get into the kingdom. Remember this? They're unwilling to agonize. That's the literal, that's literally what he's saying. Meaning this, they're unwilling to fight to get in. You understand? The fight there is referring to this denying of self and believing in Christ as the only door, the only narrow door to salvation. Listen, to get into salvation, it's going to take, contrary to what we understand in this easy believism, it's going to take a denial of self, a denial of the wisdom of the world, the denial of what you think and what you want and the, the, the basis of, that you want to have uh, to, for, for confidence in your salvation, it's going to take a denial of self and it's going to require a, a trusting in God's Christ as the only means to salvation. It's going it's to require a repentance, a, a denial of self, a taking up your cross, a dropping of the baggage of self-righteousness so that you can fit through the narrow door of of salvation. That's what it will require to get through, and many will be unwilling to enter through that door. So put this in your world for a second. Um, this is going to re require you to have a biblical understanding of what it means to be saved, and it will require for you to obey then the gospel in that way to respond in, in, in the way that God calls and to show evidences of true salvation in the way that the Word describes, not in um, what you want to be the way for salvation. You can't make up your own way. You can't just say, I, I, I am, because I, I am. And there's not many doors, and everybody just kind of finds their way through. There's one very narrow door, meaning in the sense that there's only through Christ I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through what? And to get through that door, you must reject the wisdom of the world. You must reject the, the foolishness that they heap, at, they heap at you. You must reject loving this life more than the life to come. You're going to have to deny self, repent of sin, realize, agree with God about your sin, 
and then say, I'm only trusting in the merit of Christ for salvation, right? That's when righteousness is imputed to you and you are in right standing before God, okay? Meaning this, the Israel, in the context of this verse, they were seeking to enter, but were not able. And what that means is they were seeking to enter through their own righteousness. They wanted to come in through their own righteousness, but they weren't able to keep the law perfectly and therefore, they were unable to enter. They, had, they didn't have the righteousness that God required based upon their works. So they were unable to come in. That's, that's the exact picture here. Agonize to come through this narrow door. And you're going to have to show the fruit that the Bible describes for salvation. You're going to have to hold on to Christ to the end because only those who make it to the end still clinging to Christ will be saved. You're going to have to continually deny self as evidence of your true salvation, trust in Christ. You're going to have to deny the world. You're going to have to deny making it on your own because you'll never get there. And you're going to have to come through the narrow door of Jesus Christ alone. Many will choose not to do that. It will sound foolish. It will sound harsh. And they will choose to go their own way, right? Look at Romans 9. But that Israel, I mean, this is just the exact explanation, biblical theology of what's happening in, our, in, that, in those verses. I'm just explaining the text to you. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. That's exactly what's meant in verse 22 or 24. They sought their own way and they didn't attain it. Make sense? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as it were based on works, but as if it were based on works. So they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Behold, I'm, uh, it's written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. It's offensive to them because it causes, they must come to terms with the fact that they are unrighteous and sinful in order to trust in this only way through Christ. It's offensive to them. How dare you tell me that I can't trust in my own righteousness? How dare you tell me I can't live the way that I want? How dare you tell me that I'm not in the kingdom of God? How dare you tell me that there's only one way? How dare you tell me that? I'll find my way. There's a lot of ways. It sounds pretty exclusive, right? It's an offensive message to them, okay? So Jesus is training his disciples to understand this. Many will not fight to enter through the narrow door, okay? Many won't believe this message. And Israel is the focus here. Israel is the focus here. So, Romans 10 says this. And we're going to get into the, to our, our verses briefly. It says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be, what? For I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That is key. They seek to enter, but it's not based upon God's revealed truth, the gospel of the kingdom as to how one enters. So they're failing to enter. That's the explanation. There's, they must expect that this kingdom will be rejected, and the explanation is they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And that's why it's so important. Listen, it is so, so important that you base your confidence of your salvation upon what the word says. You can have a zeal for God, but it can be according to zero knowledge. It's just not biblical Christianity. You just made up your own way, whatever you feel or whatever somebody else told you. It can be wrapped up in teaching from stage in a church and it can still be wrong, right? You, you gotta, I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to beg you. I could just stand here all day and say the same words. Please, know the word of God. Like, you got to know this. You got to have a zeal for God that's according to knowledge because eternity rests on it. Eternity rests on that. There's one, there's a, there's a truth, and there's 
Salvation comes through knowing that truth, coming to God through, the, through His means, through what He says. It's agreeing with God about your sin and coming through Christ. And you can even say that, but you can mean something different than what He means in His Word. Right? you got to come under His truth. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who, who believes. I mean, this is the exact explanation of what's happening in this passage. So, as Christ's ambassador, you must understand this expectation and this explanation. You understand the holiness of God, the depravity of man, the gospel, the cross of Christ, Israel's rejection, the grafting in of the Gentiles. I mean, there is so much happening here. Okay? Um, but, but we're going to stay with this kind of linear thought that he's training his disciples to understand this, to expect this, and then he's explaining this to them. So let's move into the division of this matter, how our text continues to teach this truth, this explanation. Here's what we did in verses 22 through 24. We, we divided this up into two points last week, if you were here. The question about the acceptance of the kingdom, verses 22 through 23, and then the reality of the rejection of the kingdom, verses 23b through 24. They ask a question. They're starting to understand this right expectation now. And then he explains it to them, as I've just described in verse 24. It's kind of this big picture theme. So now we're going to add to Christ's explanation for the rest of our time. We're going to add to his explanation of the reality of the rejection of the kingdom. Meaning this, Jesus is going to further clarify this rejection of the kingdom. So we're going to further clarify. He's going to get more specific and we're going to get more specific. That's all we're doing, okay? So if you look at these first two points, these first two headings is kind of a comprehensive summary about really what's happening in this passage. Then he becomes more specific. And there's three subpoints that we'll add to, particularly that second point, the reality of the rejection of the kingdom. So this rejection by many involves three, three aspects. It involves a limited opportunity for salvation. First one. It will involve a limited knowledge of salvation, second one. And then, therefore, it will lead to a limited amount of salvation, particularly in Israel. And I'm going to explain these to you. Hopefully, they'll make more sense. We'll take them one at a, at a time just to make them clear, okay? Let's start with the first one. How do you understand this rejection of the kingdom? Why is this happening? What's happening in Israel? How are his disciples going to continue on? Should they expect a lot of response? The masses flock, all of Israel to be saved in the sense of the nation? Um, why is this happening? Well, here's where he sheds light on this. The first, we see the limited opportunity for salvation. This is involved here with this rejection of the kingdom. Verse 25. Just stay, with, just stay with the text now. All I'm doing is explaining to you what's here. Okay, so if you're like, where is he at? I'm in verses 25 to 30, and I'm just explaining the verses to you. Verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you answer you, I do not know where you come from. Jesus explains here that Israel will reject his kingdom because they will forfeit the opportunity given them by God's grace to repent and believe the gospel. They will forfeit the opportunity that they've been given to repent and to believe the gospel. This is the sad reality that Jesus is making clear to them. They won't come through the narrow door. They won't agonize to get through. Many will seek through their own righteousness. They will not be righteous enough. And they will forfeit the opportunity that they've been given to graciously respond to the Christ. This should break our hearts. 
Jesus explains this. Again, I'm not making this up. You, you see that it's right here. I'm just explaining it. 2 Peter 3 sheds light on this. It says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, knowing, uh, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the, the idea here is, why has the Lord not come back yet? He's giving opportunity for people to repent and believe the gospel. And in that we see his grace. Psalm 32 says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great, great waters, which is a reference to, towards judgment, they shall not reach him. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. These people have taken the time that they've been given, the Christ who is in front of them, been given the opportunity to repent and believe the gospel, and instead they have clung to their self-righteousness and rejected the Christ. Now this is very, I mean, you can see how this is applicable to our world, right? Instead of pursuing the Christ, our world has instead decided to take the one opportunity that they've been given this life and to pursue their own way, to pursue their own pleasures, to pursue their own plan, sin, to, to love this life, right? And therefore, they'll lose it. This is, this is the equivalent. So let me just explain this to you, okay? If we're picking up in the process after the one has failed to enter through the narrow door, we then come to a place where now the master of the house has risen and shut the door, it says. Okay? So strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. This is almost progressive. It is. Um, not almost. When once the master of the house, okay, so this is picking up after one fails through this, to enter through this door. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. Now, this isn't very hard to understand, right? You guys can, you guys can understand what's here. It's not very difficult to, to figure out what's going on here. Once he's risen to shut the door, now this should bring your mind back to a couple of places in Luke, okay? Starting here and working backwards, let me just bring you to two places. It should bring you back first to the parable of the barren fig tree, okay? Just look back real quick. Verse thir chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. All of this is a flip of one page. Verse 7 and he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I mean, again, that's not very hard to figure out. Jesus, been there for three years at this point, seeking the fruit of Israel's repentance and faith in the Christ. And I find how much? None. He says, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, this is the Father now speaking. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure, meaning more time, more proclamation, more effort, more stirring of the soil of the hearts, more opportunity. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The idea here is it's, it, it's, it should bring you back to this idea. and it, It's the father shockingly, stunningly, graciously, mercifully, wonderfully tells the son to give his people Israel more time. But even in this, the principle is that time will eventually what? It's going to run out. So, and then if you work back further, it should bring your mind back to the parable found in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, which speaks of a master and servants and time and making oneself ready. The principle, again, is that time will run out. So now here, this picture that we're in is a little bit different. It's of a master, listen, ready? A master who is in the house. We're back in our text now. He is the master of the house, and those, there are those who are outside of the house. And it says, when after he rises, when once the master of the house has risen, it's 
not necessarily a reference to Jesus' resurrection. I mean, you could, I think you could take it that way, right? After he does his work and after um, he's uh, completed the opportunity for salvation. But it's a metaphor. After he arises, maybe from his seat, after waiting with the door open for all those who will enter. And the picture would be very clear here because the Jews in those days were obligated to hospitality. Obligated to it. Their doors should remain open to visitors, to neighbors, to travelers, to rabbis. You see, oftentimes after the synagogues, the rabbis would come to people's houses. They would all gather around, recline at table. Reclining meaning they were there for a long time, right? And the rabbis would just teach. Rabbis, teach us. Teach us. Neighbors would come over, visitors, travelers, people would, would eat. We see this plenty of times even in this gospel. We've been through this a number of times where Jesus is in the home of somebody else, etc. So after generously, graciously, patiently, openly, purely out of a heart of kindness and desire to serve, after waiting, once, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door because Time, time is over. Either no one's come in or, or those who will come in are, are already in. Keeping with this imagery stated in verse 24, the door is referring to the door of salvation. Once the door is shut, once that happens, meaning once the opportunity is over, once the limited time of earthly life has come to an end, as we see in Matthew 25, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was what? And after, other virgins also came coming, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day or the time, meaning there's an urgency to respond to the Christ. And they've missed the opportunity. They've chosen to reject him during their opportunity. Matthew um, I'm sorry, there's a couple of things that they should notice here. First, they are understanding now that Israel is actually outside the kingdom. And they need to come in. Which is offensive to them, very offensive. And then they are also recognizing here that there will be a limited amount of opportunity. And the door then will be shut. And then there's an urgency to respond. And Israel is rejecting and forfeiting their opportunity. This is the explanation. So it says, continue on in the verse with me. It says, we got to move. It says, Lord, they, say, they begin to say, Lord, open to us. And ironically, they say, Lord, here, Luke 6 says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and do not do what I tell you? So he's not truly their Lord, their king, the one who reigns and rules over them. They just call him that. That's pretty, um, that's pretty applicable to what we can understand. And then, uh, or to our culture, Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me what? Lord, Lord. Um, in Matthew 25, it says, they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And they're the ones who are cast away. He's gonna answer them. I do not know where you come from. Still in the same verse, verse 25. And we're gonna address this phrase in the next point briefly, but under the next heading. But here's what it essentially means. They've had no relation to him. On earth. Okay? As in, they're knocking on the door, and he's saying, I don't even know where you're coming from. Where have you been? You coming out of the woodwork now? All this centers around this limited opportunity. We weren't united during your life. You were apart from me, separated from me, and now you're choosing to knock on this door to receive the benefits of the kingdom, and you're calling me Lord saying this, where have you been? Where have you been? Where are you coming from? It's a parable to, a parable to describe one who has roamed the earth, loved the earth, made most of the earth, tried to live it up on the earth, remained separated from Christ on the earth. Where have you been? You haven't been with me. They have not taken the limited opportunity that they had to repent and believe the gospel. That's an explanation for the rejection of his kingdom.
They've missed their opportunity to enter the kingdom through the narrow door while it was still available. And so this is the explanation. The second point, we're going to just move to it, is a limited knowledge. Here's another explanation of their, an additional explanation, point of clarity of their rejection of the kingdom, limited knowledge. So let me just explain this. When I, when I say limited knowledge here, I don't mean that they have insufficient information and evidence. We've seen time and time again from this book, they ask for more proof, more proof, more proof, and Jesus' response is, you have had plenty of proof. That's not the reason for your unbelief, right? It's not limited in the sense that God has not given them enough information. What is being made clear here in these next three verses is that they have not sought to understand how one is truly saved. They have a zeal for God, not according to knowledge. They've made up their own way. They're basing their confidence of being in God's kingdom upon what they think, they feel, their own wisdom, their own logic, their edited version of the law, their expectations of the Messiah, their incomplete understanding of how the law points to sin, the sin points to their need for God's Christ. And out of their pride, because they're lacking any humility, they do not perceive Jesus to be God's Christ. Verse 26 through 28 says this, Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. So a similar response again. And it says, then you will begin to say, after saying, after I say, where did you come from? You're gonna say this. And it says, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. That is to say, the response of those outside of his kingdom, one of the things we notice here is that they will think that they should be inside the kingdom. So one of the principles that's being made clear here is there will be a lot of people in hell, many, who didn't anticipate being in hell. That actually anticipated in being being in the kingdom. But the basis of their confidence was not based upon the truth. Because here's what they are essentially saying. What do you mean you don't know where we came from? What are you talking about, Jesus? (laughs) I mean, we were with you. In your presence. We ate with you. We drank with you. You taught in our streets. You came to us first. You taught us about the kingdom. We heard you. We were the first ones to hear, the chosen ones. We were right before God. We were familiar with you. We heard God's message. We were near to you in proximity. This is where this gets scary. They thought because of all their factors, these factors, that they were in the kingdom. They based their confidence in their salvation on things other than the truth. You see that? And that's scary. This is why I fight so hard, particularly in this culture. We gotta turn people to the word. If you gotta know that you have to know the truth and base the confidence of your salvation upon what the word actually says. You can't just make up your own way. They thought because all these factors they were in, you taught in our streets, we ate and drank in your presence, surely we're in. What do you mean you don't know where we came from? And he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. You guys know this is a place that the Bible calls what? Hell. What's the true way in? I mean, even look at chapter 14, just one chapter later. We gotta hurry. Chapter 14, verses 25. Now great crowd accompanied him, and he turned, said to them, just the next chapter. This is what it's gonna require. If anyone comes after me, does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, right? Like, count the cost. This is what it's going to take. They didn't, they didn't uh, come in that way. 2 Timothy 3 says, describes it this way, having the appearance of godliness, but it denying its power. Titus says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So once again, the master's response, they're outside the kingdom. 
This is a place the Bible calls hell. In other places, there's going to be weeping and there's going to be gnashing of teeth. And then here's even further. Just a few more minutes. They're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but they themselves will be cast out. Meaning they really thought they were in. Because of their association. And they really failed to understand what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob understood. They understood, as Hebrew tells us, that salvation is through what? Faith. They missed it. They missed it. So they're going to see them, them in. They're going to say, hey, what do you mean? They're in or we're, we're out. We, right? And they're going to have gotten it wrong. Matthew 7 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and few find it. So all of this will lead to, lastly, let me just mention this for a couple minutes, a limited amount of salvation, particularly in Israel. You might have a hard time with that saying, um, amount, but that's, I mean, that's just what it says. The answer, all of this is prompted by one particular question. Are those who will say to be few? That deals with number. And all of this is leading to a limited amount of salvation, particularly in Israel, meaning this, meaning many in Israel will reject the Christ. Because, I mean, you can, there's a lot going on here, as I mentioned, but you can just logically play this out. Limited opportunity, well, refusal to enter through the narrow door, limited opportunity, limited knowledge will lead ultimately to few who experience salvation. And you really can put this in our world for just a minute. You say, well, how are we to understand this rejection of the kingdom of God? Here's how you are to understand it. Few will be willing to enter through the narrow door. They will have one opportunity during this life and they will choose to love this life rather than to pursue the gospel in Christ. Limited opportunity, they will not take it. They will forfeit it. Secondly, they will not seek out the truth of what it means truly to be saved. Right? And therefore, let's just take the North Shore for example. Therefore, those who are truly saved will be of the minority. This is, this is how we are to understand this. So, um, let me just explain this, ready? Verse 29, this also ties into the grafting in of the Gentiles. So in that sense, there will be many who come from the ends of the earth who are saved, right? People will come from east, west, north, south, recline at table in the kingdom. That means... Israel, due to your rejection, the gospel will go to the nations. The Gentiles will be grafted in. Romans 11, read that. That's your homework, okay? That's, uh, that will explain all of this to you. Um, and recline. This is offensive to them, to the Jews. You're saying not only are we going to reject it, you're saying that we're not getting it right, we're guilty, we're going to be outside the kingdom, but also that the nations are going to come in. There's not going to be any difference between Jew and Greek. And behold, some who are last will be first, some who are first will be last. Meaning those that the gospel came to first, Israel, will lose out on salvation. And the ones who the gospel goes to last, the nations, the Gentiles, they will be victorious in the kingdom. So all this is, I mean, there's so much for you to, to understand here, the, the, the nature of God's sovereignty and salvation, the whole storyline of God that has God and Israel at its center and then a holy people, the church, as its center. It helps you to understand how God will use this to crush his Christ and therefore bring salvation to the world. And yet it also is primarily here in this context training the disciples to continue to proclaim the gospel, continue to be prayerful, lament over their people and over the world and continue to proclaim and understand that he will advance his kingdom, but to expect that his kingdom will be rejected and so will his ambassador. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and 
Um, we could spend a long time on this, a really long time, weeks and weeks. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have this biblical understanding of the rejection of your kingdom, that we then would in turn strive to enter through the narrow door. It would warn us first. Then it would help us to understand the world and the rejection of the Christ. But it would help us to not lose heart as we act as your ambassadors. We pray that your gospel would go to the ends of the earth for your glory and for the good of your people. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.